Excellent. Are you sitting comfortably? Um, we're going to look at Genesis, I say, um, and uh, it's the last in our series on Genesis 1 to 4. Uh, my intention is that over the next two years, we're actually going to go through Genesis. So we're going to do chunks uh, of Genesis and work our way right the way through till Joseph. Not, not that we're going to do, uh, we're going to have breaks in the middle of it, okay, just to give you a little bit of a, bit of a, 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 a sort of different perspective over the summer, for example, and then we will come back into more of it. There is so much in Genesis. It's such an amazing book. And I think particularly these uh, four chapters have been fascinating. I'm going to pray. Father God, when we look at a passage like that, I say, help, Lord. Help me, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word that is so relevant to our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would take what I say and you would use it for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, a uh, brief romp through what we've been looking at since January uh, in 1 to 4. Uh, as we know, we'd looked at creation, uh, which was good and very good when uh, women and men turned up. And then um, into chapter 2, and we looked at the roots of marriage, Adam and Eve. Then the fall and the consequences of the fall, the effect on work and life and death and relationships, a route to salvation, even built within chapter 3. And then the promise of Jesus is even built in there. Last week, uh, Mary, uh, if you were here, talked about Cain and Abel as brothers. Cain murders Abel uh, and, if you like, unleashes the human cameo of history, the roots of war and crime and prejudice. God punishes Cain. He becomes a restless wanderer, thrown out of his land. uh, And he moved uh, bizarrely, as we love to say, the land of Nod, which some of us lost an hour uh, in relation to the land of Nod, maybe last night. But here we are in uh, east of Eden. And yet under the surface, as we said, we see the roots of where we are now, thousands of years on There are many things that we connect with, aren't there, in relation to this. A few years ago, this guy, um, oops, uh, this guy was on the scene. In one of his songs, uh, Freddie Mercury, if you don't know who that is, uh, from Queen. I feel like I want to do an impersonation of him, but I mean, if I had this, I mean, really, you know... It would be like this. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. Eh! Right? Okay. Thank you. That was enough. Thank you for that clap, Steve. Um, But it's interesting, that phrase, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, I want it now. And there's that sense that starts to happen with Cain. The restless wanderer, which could lead to another song, of course. They call me the wanderer. No, but anyhow, the wanderer. But immediately Cain takes it into his own hands here. And um, basically, God has never hinted that he should do this. He starts to build a city named after his, his son, Enoch. And um, basically took things into his own hands. You see, God's intention has always been to build a city. If you look in Revelation 21, 22, one day we will be gathered in a city, a garden city. That is his 
um, heart's desire that will be gathered in a city. Um, referred to there. But there is such a contrast between that city it talks about, a place of no tears, no pain, no suffering, with the city that we know of and the city of man, isn't there? That city that God talks about, but the city it talks about here. The city that God will build will be filled with peace and joy, a place of safety and love. But in our arrogant pride that begins in the roots of what Cain says here in these first few uh, verses of the Bible, he decides to do it his own way, to build his own idea of a city, a ground drenched in his brother's blood. He cries, I want success. I want praise. I want wealth. I want power. I want it now. I want it now. He cries out. And he enacts that in terms of the city. I want to do it my way. That'll be it. All right, no more singing. It's too early in the morning. And, but it's imposing stuff. And we see it begins on his arrogant pride in relation to God and how he sees things. We even see it bizarrely and interestingly in the names of the people that come along in relation to his own um, forebears. The ones who come uh, after him. Irad, Irad, for example, witnessed to the glory of God, um, the glory of man. And by Genesis 11, of course, we see that the city becomes the Tower of Babel, the very moment of saying, we've got it sorted. Do we need God? Uh, Mehujal, smitten of God, a defiance towards him. Methusheel, death of God, very contemporary. But in the midst of it, there's also creativity, just like there is in any city. There's amazing stuff. You've got Jubal, uh, the traveler, the one who uh, was raising livestock. Jubal, the musician who made musical instruments, the metal worker, Tubalcain. And the sense here of building things around a progressive, uh, impressive thing. But as we know, all that glitters is not gold. That what we see on the surface, and many times we are impressed by. This week, uh, uh, the last week actually, I went with two other friends. And we go once a month and we pray over the city of London. There's three or four of us do it as leaders. And we just pray for, for, for the city and for the people there. We take an afternoon to do it. And we felt called to do that over the last three or four months. And we go to high places, the highest places we can. So we go to Alexandra Palace and get the view from there. Or Primrose Hill, if you've gone there. Or as this is Parliament Hill on Hampstead. And go and look over the city. And I don't know about you, but when you go, it's quite close to the Parliament Hill one. There's, it's incredibly impressive. I, I just find it really impressive. Tiny little St. Paul's Cathedral that used to be the highest in the city is dwarfed by all these incredibly, wonderfully, beautiful, glittering glass skyscrapers. And it feels very impressive. It almost like sends out the signal of being impressive. And yet, as we know, within those symbols of power, within those institutions has been brought out. And almost every week, institutions are shown to be so often, often it's places of power, injustice and darkness. The consequences, if you like, start to happen, even based around what's happening here in Genesis uh, 4. And let's look at 
things as they move on. Cain's family line. We see a progression. In verse 23 and 24, Lamech, who has reached this uh, point of being um, the great, great, great grandson of Cain. He first mentions this. He says to his wives, Adar and Zillah, Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Lamech, the generation on from Cain, immediately two things happen. One is polygamy comes on to the scene. The first mention. Now, someone has said that polygamy has its own punishment. It means more than one mother-in-law. I might add that my mother-in-law was a fantastic mother-in-law, okay? It has its own punishment. Donnie laughed anyway. But the point was that um, sin came in at that moment. What was not needed and not wanted came in. And in addition to the warping of, if you like, the natural sexual order, there's even a justification for murder here. Lamech boasts about his wives. He, he boasts about extreme violence on the grounds of protecting rights. Technological brilliance, producing comfort and luxury, the substitution of, of state for family, the trend towards urban over rural life, the toleration of sexual excess, the vindication of violence, all those things are, if you like, summed up in these words, uh, sound familiar to the way that very often our city, our generation, our culture can feel. See, the Bible connects right into the heart of our culture. How has human nature changed over thousands of years? Scripture puts its finger on the problem of human life, our sin, our selfishness, our rejection of God. That is why we've never truly been able to find our peace in city life. However much we've built things, however much we've innovated, however much we've done, fundamentally our own version of things, because our selfishness is forever building cities upon ground that is washed in the blood of that brother. And yet, there is hope, folk. Even in the midst of the degradation, the devastation of this, we see this little sign of hope. In Adam, verse 25, made love to his wife again. So Adam and Eve, remember them? Adam and Eve, he made love. They gave birth to a son and named him Seth saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel. Since Cain killed him, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. Now, Seth was the beginning of the line that led to Jesus. That God, even in the midst of that, saw he provided the opportunity for hope to come and hope to occur through those descendants. And in 26, it says there was even a prompting to call upon the name of the Lord. So the murderer, Cain, never appears to have repented of sin. In these verses, we see uh, just the moral failure that he did, where he never arrogantly repented of his sin, continue on into the next load of generations. And the Bible is clear that the choices we make, either obedience to God or disobedience to God, has consequences. I want to talk a little bit into this whole issue of generational family lines. 
Okay? I'm going to share a little bit about those things and hopefully it'll be understanding. You look, all of us have physical characteristics that are like our parents, aren't they? You might say for good or ill. I mean, my dad had huge ears, okay? And as a result of that, I have huge ears, okay? So they're, you're interested, Asher, aren't you, in that? Thinking, are they that big at all? But they are, they are huge in comparison to many other ears. And even ears within my own family, I have picked up the big ear side of things. We have physical characteristics just like we do that. We also, though, want to say, as we inherit physical characteristics, we inherit in the spiritual realm as much as in the natural. And these are generational influences that have the ability to bring two things, blessings or curses. That is what the Bible talks about. And it has a huge effect on us and on our family life. Family is so important. You know, actually, when God looks at us, yes, he looks at us individually, but he's also aware of our families. In Matthew 1.17, it says this, So all the generations from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. So when he looks at you, he also sees your family. I explain this. When, when he made that covenant with Abraham, which will, in the next bunch of Genesis we look at, he made a, a covenant with him, stated that he would bless both Abraham and his descendants. Blessing running through bloodlines, but also that's true of curses too. In Exodus, um, this is said. Uh, and when God is speaking to the children of Israel, he says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, or that's the sin of the fathers upon the children, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. The word iniquity, as I say, means sin. And I believe... And it might bring some interesting discussion that actually, if we stop and think about it, that there are inclinations in family lines for certain sinful habits. So I want you to think a little bit, okay, and just reflect on this. It's not meant to be a a heavy thing, but it is maybe highlighting some interesting things about who we are. So in Deuteronomy 28, actually lists... Um, 53 generational curses. And here are the symptoms of those curses. Just some of them, okay? Some of the things that I mentioned there tie in with some of these things. I won't go through the full list, all right? Um, But as you look at that list, if you stop for a moment, think back over your generational family tree. Think over your, your family line. Can you identify some trends? You don't have to nod your head if you don't want to. But do you see some trends? you see some things that are quite consistent? Um, I reckon you probably do. There are certain things. I've reflected on this myself. And, and I see huge, can I just say as well, there are blessings. There are blessings that God has brought. But also there are things that also have been true. For me, for example, uh, fear and anxiety is a huge thing in my father's side. There's a lot of fear and anxiety within the, the generation. And it's quite a generation. You can see it connected as you go back in time. 
Many of us have been around long enough to have seen across those generations more than others. It might be that there are other links within it. And this, as again, is, is God can sometimes use this to pinpoint things, not as a thing to bring fear or heaviness, but to highlight stuff. You see, it might be that actually we do struggle consistently with persistent sin in a particular area. Let's be honest with God about it. Again, I'm not expecting you to nod your head in relation to that. But there are things that consistently we struggle with. And it might be that it's reflected within past generations. Maybe some of the things mentioned above. But the good news is that I'm speaking today. These curses can be broken. Listen to me. These curses can be broken in Jesus brief smile or smirk would be nice. Because that's the hope that always is hope, even in the midst of the challenges and the reality. For a generational curse comes through the bloodline, but a generational curse can be cancelled by the blood of Jesus. That's the whole point of what we're going to be thinking about uh, at Easter. But actually, it's true for every single day. It's all about the blood of Jesus. When he died on that cross, his blood paid the price for all our sin. And Jesus himself became, a, as it says, a curse for us on the cross to set us free from the curse of the law. So this is the verse that we can use in relation to that. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That was, that was seen as... Um, horrific that someone should be killed on a tree. But he had to take that to deal with the curse of death and sin and these um, uh, things that affect us. Now, you might say, well, surely Jesus paid the price for my sins, past, present, and future. So why do we need to revisit these generational things? I just don't want to go there. You know? And, and sometimes we might look at some of those things and think, this is too heavy for me. This is too serious for me. I don't know whether I want to go there, but you know what? Do you want to be held back by those things? There are so many people who, if you like, have got relationship with Jesus. They know Jesus, but why is it there's still sin going on in their lives? It could be that actually the devastation is there. Salvation is not effective in our lives, you see, until we personally accept his sacrifice by faith and then receive it for ourselves. Paul talks about working out our salvation in fear and trembling. That means that actually we're continuing to be sanctified and changed. Even though we know Jesus and sin has been dealt with, there's still the the mopping up operation in our lives and in the life of the world around us. And I'm just suggesting here this morning from this passage, could it be that through some of our own choices, that we are in a, we, we, there are habits that are unhelpful. But could it be also there is a link into some of these generational things that was like a, a curse within what we read about in Genesis 4 there? So, what can we do in relation to generational curse? And I'm, I'm coming in to land on this, but I want us to actively consider being part of this. The person next to you doesn't have to know about this. But I want to say as well, If you would value prayer supporting you in this, we would love to walk with you through this. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be held back. I don't want to be deprived of peace and joy in my life. But actually, there's the opportunity for us to break. So firstly, it's the word reflect. 
And I want us just for a moment, I had the list a bit earlier, which I can flick back to. But it might be areas of things like worry and fear. I want us for a moment, just to close our eyes, if you find that helpful. And just to say, Lord God, reveal anything in me that is a habitual um, fear or worry or an area of struggle in my life. I don't know what that might be for you. I've actually, when I asked God just now, I, I had a prompting in my own heart that somehow there's a part of me sometimes that wants to prove myself. It's not so much approval of others, but I just want to prove myself. And I see that also connected into my own generational line. But there might be some other things to reflect on it. We see that the effect of some of those things mentioned, maybe alcoholism, maybe effect of adultery, might be effect of a whole load of things that were mentioned in that list of violence, of those things we see, divorce or whatever it might be, has come through our line and it's there. Just reflect on those things and recognize those things. Secondly, we're going to forgive. Because you won't know everything about your past generations. I don't know everything about my past generations. Uh, much of that was because my grandfather, for example, never said anything about anything deep. Partly it was cultural, partly generational, just didn't do it. I don't know what was going on, although I've heard things since that you pick up later on after he died. But we might know it, but there might be repeated things. And firstly, in terms of forgiveness, we're just going to forgive our ancestors. Just spend a moment forgiving them. And um, giving space for that. So can we just, again, you might find it helpful to just be quiet. Maybe close your eyes and, and just say, we forgive you. We forgive our, our ancestors, the generations that have come and gone. And we forgive them. And the, th- the third thing is, is the word renounce. This is where I'm going to get you to pray a prayer with me, if that's what you want to do. Uh, And just pray a prayer, really, to cover those things. And, you know, if we know Jesus and we're washed in the blood of Jesus, then actually we have authority to do this, all right? And I know about you, but I want to cleanse my life of anything that might prevent me knowing peace and joy. So, you know, it's a win-win on every front. But we're going to pray uh, this prayer and renouncing uh, some of these things, okay? So let's pray this prayer together and speak it out. Thank you, Father God, that generational curses are broken through faith in the blood of Jesus. As an act of my will, I choose now to forgive all my ancestors on my mother's side, and my father's side, back through four generations, for every sin and every act of disobedience against you, Lord God. I forgive them for any way they gave access to the enemy in my family line, 
whether deliberately or unwittingly. And I choose now to forgive them for the consequences in my life. In Jesus' name, I renounce every sin any of my ancestors committed. Thank you, Jesus. You died for me on the cross. I put my faith in the blood you shed for me that breaks the curses from generational sin. I believe and declare that every generational curse is now cancelled, broken off me and my family line once and for all by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And it's powerful what we speak out. It's important what we speak out. It's not just a religious prayer there. It can say something really deep into our soul and our being. Because the fourth thing really is this. We're going to say that in a moment. But we, fourthly, receive that blessing for ourselves. Because in Exodus 25 and 6, do you remember back to that? It says, we see God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. But then it says, the mercy of God, the blessings of God are to the thousand generations. God's hope and blessing is so much bigger than the curses that so often can affect us. And so we can receive it by saying these words together. Thank you, Lord, for every ancestor in my family that honored and obeyed you. I receive the blessings promised through their obedience now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, although, as I draw to a close, Adam, Eve, Cain set in motion a world beset by sin all those years ago. Isn't it amazing that God in his love built in right from the beginning a plan of rescue and of hope and a joy and that's why that's why i love easter more than any other festival in the year it is the moment it is the moment where the curse is broken it's the moment where death is dealt with it's the moment where all those things that afflict the city of man is broken. And through that death, he made provision for every sin to be forgiven, every curse to be broken. Through his bloodshed, we are set free. Let's pray. Father God, I realize that uh, it could have churned up a lot of stuff today. But that's what the Bible does. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would churn up the things in our own hearts that we can just give to you. Thank you that nothing that has beset us, past, present, and future, is bigger than your cross. And so we thank you, Lord, that we can go from here not under condemnation, For if we know you, Lord Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that we would know release. Holy Spirit, I pray you cover anything that I've said that might not have been good and use the things that were of you and impress them into our hearts and our lives. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your joy and the freedom you bring. In Jesus' name.
Amen.